special extracurricular episode of Normandy FM Dragon Age 2 edition. Kenneth Shepard, mm-hmm. I'm excited this week. You are? I am. I am because I, Eric Van Allen, have played more Dragon Age 2. And mm-hmm. I will say this much right off the bat, Ken. We started last week. We were down in the dumps. We were in the gutter. We are in the sewers of Dragon Age 2. I feel like I'm at least evened out now. I feel like I'm closer back to middle with the stuff that we have played today. Mm. Uh, I also just have many different thoughts about the structure of this game, specifically the third act, that we're all going to get to. But uh, it's a weird thing, isn't it? It's a weird, weird thing. I... Let me start off with this. Mm. So today we're talking about Isabella, Fenris, and Sebastian. We're knocking Sebastian off because he's just kind of there. He gets like one thing. And God, don't worry, we'll get to it. But <laughs> um, in terms of the characters who matter, <laughs> um, their companion quests are a little brief compared to the other things we've done so far. They feel very let's wrap this all up in one go you know like put a bow on it some would say anticlimactic yes however there is a lot of stuff in this act have you noticed that like just walking Mm -hmm. around like i was i think i was in high town for something that i needed to do for a quest and i was just like there are a lot of exclamation marks on the map right Mm -hmm. now which we have not had in a while and granted we spent a while in act two so uh, there is that, but I, I haven't. I don't remember this many side quests since like Act One, and also no. a lot of this stuff. I mean, at least one of the things, which is one of the things I did this week, that was my extracurricular for this week, was I went and did the Bone Pit mission where you fight the the dragon to mm-hmm. get the so I could have the full set of champion armor. Oh yeah, and man, oh, rogues look good mm. in the champion armor. Let me tell you, I don't know how mages look, but. They look okay, but they got this weird, like, plate thing that sticks out of their chest that, like, I don't know how you're supposed to do, like, you can't mm-hmm. even, like, it gets into, like, your vision in ways, like, I can't imagine it's, like, super, you know. It's, like, right under your chin, so, like, if you yeah. sneezed and you didn't, like, yep. brace yourself for it, you just kind of have, like, snot on mm-hmm. a metal plate in front of your chin, like. Yeah, there, and there, there are points in this act where I'm gonna have this armor on. And I'm going to kiss my boyfriend, Fenris, and... <laughs> it's going to go right through. It like... Look at that. He's been impaled. Um, my, my thing is that the one thing I don't like about the rogue armor is the hood. I kind of wish that the hood either looked cooler or just was off. But thankfully, in all the cutscenes and all the dialogues and all that, headgear is always removed. So uh, I don't have to see it when I'm doing any important story stuff. In oh, my so you still like it? Pristine. Yeah, yeah. It's um, oh, I, mm, I, it's never on. I never put the hood on for me. No, I'm just. No, I just I leave I leave it on because I want the full set. I want the full set bonus. Come on, Ken. Mm. Be a true. Well, I'm gamer. playing on the easiest difficulty, so I don't really need to like worry oh, about. I'm playing on that easy difficulty too, man. I don't got that much time in the day. Uh, and some of these combat encounters we were doing pretty hard, so mm. I was not about that life. Uh, yeah. but I will say... Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, like, to your point on, like, there being a bunch of side quests in this one, 
There, there might have been just as many in Act Two, but like since the whole basis of Act One is like doing all these quests to get money, right? There's like less incentive to do them. It's so, like I just feel like we maybe, I mean, we might have played through the majority of them, but like we didn't engage with them in the same way, and it's like almost overwhelming a little bit. Just like oh god, look at all these things I got to do while there's a civil war about to start, and I don't know. Like I saw the one that was like that one's the one that involves Nathaniel Howe. Well, maybe that's worth doing at some point, but. Also, not feeling great about this game. Kind of want to get to Inquisition now. And mm. well, I don't remember as many from two, like from Act Two, because I feel like most of the ones that we did for Act Two we talked about on here because they were important and had something to do with the plot. I don't remember many like extraneous yeah. missions. Is maybe the better way to say it because in Act One. You know, you're doing odd jobs around the town. There is, like, a loose story framing for what's going on. Act 2 feels a little bit more like they're kind of playing in tandem with the plot a little bit more. Here, it's just kind of like, oh, well, uh, we need a reason for you to go fight the dragon. So remember that mine you ended up with? You should probably go do that. Um, Yeah. Also, they really kind of breeze over the fact that just about everyone gets massacred at that mine. But that's, Mm. that's... yeah um dragon age 2 let's start with isabella let's talk about isabella first i mean so this these episodes are going to get kind of weird because we're going to talk about the things that happened in their quests but i think at this point we can kind of start to talk holistically about characters right like at this point we will have seen with maybe the exception of one single character uh all of their story that is contained in this game um and so the first one we have is with isabella um who we kind of have to go find at the hangman i was really surprised when i started this uh act three and isabella was not my party and i was like oh Mm -hmm. okay and so i i didn't realize i didn't remember that i had to go back to the hangman and kind of convince her to rejoin the party which i thought was I thought it was interesting, um, but three years too late. Yeah, like, just like that—that that was the thing that's so wild to me. Is like, have you not had this conversation yet? Like, did it take you this long to have this conversation at this very particular moment when things are getting bad? And you're just like, oh, maybe now we should have this conversation. Maybe now we should like reckon with what happened three years ago. Hawk is not good at having like tough, emotionally vulnerable conversations. Apparently not. It's to build up to it for three years. <laughs> Like, like it's a family member that you see every year at Thanksgiving. You're just waiting for it to boil over <laughs> until one year. Um, yeah. And and the weird thing is, like, no matter what you do in this situation, as far as I know, Isabella rejoins, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So the whole point of this dialogue, I guess, existing is either that you could just ignore it and never bring Isabella back if you wanted to, like pretend that your character was just like so furious with what isabella did that they didn't want isabella back in the party but mm-hmm. if you didn't want isabella back in the party why don't you just hand her to the air yeah. shock in the first place like it's a weird decision in that regard but also it just you know like you said like it's three years and presumably hawk has been going to the hangman has been hanging out with other companions mm-hmm. isabella talks about having been hanging out with other companions and stuff so like there's just a weird gap that it felt like they need i don't know why they made you have this gameplay decision to to have or not have her here Mm. 
I don't see what kind of benefit it brings compared to let's say some other choices in this act for companions that at least could carry some interesting decision making in certain regards mm. um it feels I mean, just I mean, like, very perfunctory i mean like now that we're at the final act of this game i think we can kind of speak holistically on how well the time skips of this game really serve it they're not they and don't I, if it's like i still don't understand what the point of it was like if you want to communicate this, that all these things happened over the large longer course of time I don't think it needed to be a three-year jump every time. Like, maybe it took, I don't know, like... Like, I, I think if you give, like, maybe a year between each act, I think that's when it, you know, it's easier to suspend disbelief in some of these things, because, like, when we get to Fenris, we're going to talk about the fact that, apparently, Hawk and Fenris never talked about the relationship again for, like, three years, just, like, never said a word about it. And then, like, <laughs> did, like with Isabella here, like, apparently, like, nobody thought to discuss the fallout of the Canary Revolt until this point, and I don't... There's not one instance in this game that comes to mind that it feels like that particular story beat was served in any meaningful way. Yeah. Um, the more I think about it, the more I'm just kind of like... I like... I do like the idea of the time skips in a vacuum. The idea of this all playing out over a period of time. The thing that I don't like is that sometimes the writing reflects that and other times the writing does not reflect that. Yep. And sometimes you end up in cool situations where it's like, wow, this, oh, this Canary problem's really gotten tough over time. And wow, Hawks really moved up in, mm -hmm. you know, their, their standing. And oh man, Meryl took a really long time to put this mirror together. A lot of work went into this. But the flip side of that is like, yeah, how did they not talk for three years? And you almost wish that someone had just been plotting these points a little bit better because it kind of feels like every character arc is broken down into like three separate um i guess like points of of conflict like three mm -hmm. different major events that are going to happen throughout the course of the game that hawk will be present for but they don't neatly line up compared to other ones like the the time difference for Varric might make sense because his brother has run away and been in hiding and stuff like that but the the time difference for isabella here doesn't make as much sense the time difference for even like fenris doesn't make sense yeah. like basic conversation does not keep up with it the way that the major plot points do mm. um yeah. i think that's my biggest issue with it is that it felt like they didn't commit hard enough to the long time span of this game right um that being said, we've got one last thing to do with Isabella. I mean, look, we're in the we're in the part of the game where we're wrapping up every major arc for a character, right? So like every companion has had their individual arc that they go through, their like key conflict that they need to take care of. For Isabella, obviously it's Castillon. Uh the the merchant slash rogue slash mysterious dude in the shadows that she owes this debt to that she was supposed to bring the the tome of kuzlin to uh we find out that an agent or basically someone that knows castillon is in town and we crack a really really stupidly dumb plot <laughs> to, <laughs> to get this guy velasco to lead us to castillon um 
the one thing I really do appreciate again is that Isabella, when you are a sarcastic hawk, is just the absolute best. Mm. Like um, this from the whole bit where you're planning the you're in the planning stage and trying to be like, okay, well, how are we going to you know follow Velasco, get Velasco to to tell us where Castillon is? He's not going to tell us. If we kill him, he can't tell us. How do we do this? And you come up with this crazy scheme of pretending like you've turned on Isabella Mm. and you're turning her in and then going and acting that out, which is also just fantastic where Mm. sarcastic Hawk can be like, remember that time that you came back with the, that you stole the tome. This is like that only funnier. (laughs) Like (laughs) it's a really good time, especially with, with female Hawk, uh, really sold the lines for me. Um, you can also knock her out and just be like, like as a means of being like, Oh, look, there's no way that I am, like... Like, uh, this is clearly not a trick. Look at me, actually, like... I, did, I guess you didn't do this option. And I, I didn't do it either. It's something I'm just kind of, like, aware of. That, uh... You just knock her out in front of uh, Velasco, and then he's like, Oh, thanks for this. Drags her off, and somehow she still manages to leave, like... I was about a, to say, how does she trail? leave a trail if she's unconscious? I don't know. Like, I... I, I would have thought, like, that might have been a scenario where, like, Oh, you maybe, like, went... A step too far and now the whole quest is going to be more difficult because she obviously can't do the thing that she was meant to do in this plan that that could have been interesting and i feel like they've they toyed with other stuff like that in a, in the leandra quest where you could have like multiple ways of finding a character yeah. or whatever so that could have been a little bit more interesting like maybe you would have had to go ask around town and talk to some people to find out um oh have you seen a guy yeah. dragging an unconscious pirate girl through town. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, like, and overall, let's, like, also say this up front. This is a really short quest, because, like, yeah. we do this. We go to the Blooming Rose, we we execute the plan, and then we just go kill Velasco. And we loot Velasco's body to get a key and find a chest with some documents in it that are just kind of there and say like oh castillon is planning to bring slave trade to uh to kirkwall and then castillon shows up and we negotiate and that's how the quest ends like it's it's very brief it's very quick and also so you, so you do you did negotiate so yeah i did negotiate we'll talk about that in a little bit but <laughs> i just do want to say were you kind of let down by the reveal of Castillon? I was like, this dude looks like a normal it's just ass some NPC. Dude. Like, <laughs> yeah. it, that's something that I guess is like a recurring theme of a lot of these things. It's like all of these last quests for each character, they just feel so like ta- I don't know if tacked on is the word I want to use, but they just feel very brief, very rushed, and very like especially compared to like you know the ones in Act Two. Like a lot happens with each of these characters in Act Two, and mm-hmm. this time is just. All these very brief sort of bookends of each of these stories, and I'm, that's why I think they're all very anticlimactic. Like even characters like Fenris, like I'm not, I don't really love these quests that much. It's not that interesting. Like I mean, there are there are some you know great reveals in it, but just like the actual moment to moment of what we're doing just feels very bog standard, almost like a you know a, a, a Aaron side quest or something. It doesn't seem feel like it's got that same care and like flair to it. Well, it feels like every, they got to this point, and then, like I said earlier, they were like, well, every single character needs to fight their big bad, right? And it's like, yeah. 
how do I how do I put this? It's like I hate making this comparison, but it stirs the same feelings in me, and it's going to make you feel bad too. So just prepare yourself. It reminds me of not not Infinity War, but the one that the second parter, the Endgame. Yes, it reminds me of Endgame, where you have this whole <laughs> you have that whole battle hold scene. Like, hold on, yeah, hold on. Did you just forget the name of the like the highest grossing film of all time? I, I hope you... I was going to say you better not say best, because I don't like that movie. But, um... Yeah. No. <laughs> I don't know. I don't... I routinely, like, when people say Avatar, I have to, like, literally think to remember that there was a James Cameron movie that was about blue people called Avatar. And that was, like, mm. a high-grossing movie. <laughs> um, the second highest-grossing movie of all time. I prefer to think of the, the good Avatar. <laughs> Shoutouts! If you guys want to be bad at me about any of the comments I've just made, you can uh, you can email us because we're doing a Q and A episode. So oh, hit yeah. us up should... at uh, normandyfm <laughs> yeah. at gmail dot com. And we got uh, a couple we got a couple questions from that, and you know, just throw it out there again. Does mm-hmm. not have to be about Bioware, Does but it's fine if it is. But just Bioware. like this is your chance to ask about anything else. So yeah, like Eric, how do you have such abysmally bad Marvel takes? Because I realized this the other day. I was like, I don't like any of the team up Marvel movies. I just don't. I just, I don't think they're good. Any I, of the what? Team up, like the team up Marvel movies. Like, oh, like, okay. Civil War, Infinity War, Original Avengers, uh, Endgame. I don't like them. Hmm. Uh, they don't do it for me. Anyways, the reason why I compare it to Endgame is that whole sequence at the end of the movie where it's like, okay, well, we've got all the the good guys on one side and all the bad guys on the other side, and now we're just going to play matchmaker and have the, you know, the good guy, these good guys are going to fight this bad guy, and then these good guys are going to fight this bad guy, and it, I, I feel like it ends up dulling the, the combat there because... I mean, think of it in the same way that we had the air shock built up over time as such this amazing enemy that culminated in this final showdown, and then we're jumping right into Meredith and um, Orsino, and so it like immediately dulls the effect of Meredith as this new antagonist for us to deal with because we literally just came off the high of the air shock. Mm-hmm. We're getting all of that in a series, and this is all taking place while we're still coming down from the high of the air shock and like getting acquainted with a new big bad so they were like oh yeah now you're gonna fight castillon and now you're gonna fight uh shitty fenris slaver dude the the guy won't even remember his name because he sucks he doesn't deserve a name (laughs) no i'm not remembering his name on purpose ken because he sucks (laughs) um but and and then they're like oh we're gonna introduce velasco velasco is a dude that like hey remember samson samson showed up in this quest for some reason (laughs) like I there's so much like eleventh hour introduction or or like first time you're actually seeing these characters and it, I guess in a vacuum that could work if you know Castillon shows up and he's got this great entrance and you're just like oh, it's Castillon but when you do that with every single one of your big bads for these characters and you've got all these different characters that you're introducing over time. I just kind of hit this point where I'm like, okay, I get it. Like, this is what we're doing. I know where we're going with this. Cool. Done, done, done. Let's move on. Mm. I, I'm i hitting the point where I almost would have liked to have seen more of these characters 
throughout the game which again is kind of a running criticism i have at this point which is like you have these cool characters why are you not putting a trickle of them here and a trickle of them there to kind of build them up over time i mean it's sort of like the same thing that's happened with mary you know is that like these characters are mentioned like they're a you know a background force of all of these plot lines but by the time that we get to them it's like i have been through so much like to finally be here at you and you're in my like field of view it's just like and it also like i mean and it goes back to what i'm saying like these quests don't feel like they are given that same Mm -hmm. sort of you know care in the same way it's like by the time that you're there like eh, you're just a fucking another person for me to stab yes exactly it's like okay here's another person i gotta stab like the air shock does not have much camera time in dragon age 2 he really doesn't if if you go back and look at it like there's maybe three or four scenes that we have with the air shock total but it's that same effect of like if you know silence of the lambs uh you only saw hannibal lecter for maybe like 10 minutes in that movie but when you when you think of Mm. silence of the lambs you think of hannibal lecter because he owned every scene he was in and he played a compelling character and like that's that's what you have to to do with your villains to make them stick out in my mind is you need to have them be so memorable that even if they're barely in the movie compared to the hero they're what you remember uh or else you run into like i mean you, you have two sides of that coin right and both of them are embodied in far cry 3 where you have one villain that shows up way too much and becomes a trope or you have the other villain that nobody remembers was the other villain of far cry 3 because <laughs> mm. <laughs> there were two villains of far cry 3 um and i don't even remember the name of the other dude um so yeah it's anyways castion uh we we kind of have a point here where isabella has a change of heart and she basically says i will make a deal right here castion you give me your ship and you promise to leave me alone forever and i will give you these documents that would otherwise get you in a lot of trouble in kirkwall because obviously kirkwall is trying to get past that whole slavery business that it had been involved in for years and years and years and trying to bring that trade through Kirkwall would cause some issues for Castion. Um, I think, wasn't it like he was also moving through other places too? I'm pulling up, I'm pulling up in the documents right now just to double check. Um, Probably. Yeah, no, I'm reading it right now. Um, The incriminating documents prove that Castion is looking to expand his slaving business in the free marches where slavery is legal. So it was Kirkwall, but also like the general free marches. Uh, which is is a no-no <laughs> um so for me i chose to make a deal because i knew it was what isabella wanted i i saw this as a change of heart for isabella that she basically said she wants to wash her hands of this she wants to let business be business and be done with it and it's certainly not going to stop my hawk from stabbing this dude in the future. <laughs> but right now, this is what Isabella wants, and I did not want to get in the way of, of what she wanted as a character. I'm assuming you'd stab the shit out of this dude. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're not going to... Fenris is right there. What, what would he think if I was like, hey, yeah, I'm going to let Slaver continue to do what he's doing? No. Right. No, right. thank you. 
Um, oddly enough, so here's here's something strange to me. Um, Fenris obviously rivalry plus ten. Uh, if you mm. choose to uh, hand the documents over and let him walk away, uh, Aveline friendship plus ten. If you hand him mm. the documents, so there I'm going to be bringing these up because they're just some very strange like end of game friendship rivalry changes that happen yeah. in these in these missions there's one in particular that i literally sent you as a message yeah. uh that i could not believe but uh yeah some weird stuff there what so what happens if you do kill castion because i don't think i've ever played this mission having killed castion Oh, you know, you just fight, and then Isabella's, like, pissed, obviously. She's like, what am I supposed to do with these documents now? And then Aveline, which is, is weird, considering the the friendship she gains here, uh, where she's like, obviously, I can use them. And I was like, why would you... Why would you seem happy and relieved about this if you were willing to have the... I don't know. Weird. Weird inconsistencies happening here. Because, mm-hmm. like, Aveline also gets rivalry from killing Castillon, too. And I'm like, what, what do you want? I don't know. I I thought I understood you, but now I suddenly feel like I don't. But uh, yeah, I mean, like she's pissed in the moment, but then she's kind of like, you know, once we get to the question release, she's like, that would have been a dumb thing to do. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> Isabella is an interesting character. Um, mm-hmm. I I feel like, you know, the ultimate point that this builds up to is the idea that Isabella is suddenly changing her ways and this kind of gets mm-hmm. embodied in her questioning beliefs quest which is actually my favorite quest with isabella um i really mm-hmm. like this the scene that you have yeah. um where you you kind of just go have a chat with her at the hangman and you go over everything and she's kind of like you know i'm glad that you walk through it, this is the friendship line she's like yeah. i'm glad that you walk through the door that one day like you have changed my life yeah. forever and this is always my favorite um if if you have the boat at this point um hawk she'll invite hawk to go sailing with her on the ship once uh she decides to set sail and you can say yes or you can say no but you can also bring up that you have a romantic partner um and isabella will have like specific dialogue saying yeah bring them along like that's all good Mm. um and I always like that because in like in my original playthrough, and I think even here, I like the idea of Hawk and Isabella just kind of becoming good friends and yeah. and like finding companionship together. Not necessarily like it didn't need to necessarily be romantic. They can just mm-hmm. be. I when I played the game originally, I referred to as like Isabella's my pirate bro. <laughs> like, yeah. Um. So it's I I like her character a lot. I think the way that she changes over the course of this game is really cool. Um, It's, it's not even like she's necessarily leaving behind her pirate ways. She just kind of learns to trust people a little bit more and to not, you know, run away at the first sign of attachment or emotional vulnerability. And instead is like, she even mentions, you can be like, why don't you just take off now? And she's like, Oh, I have a feeling something interesting is happening especially because you're here and there's no way I'm missing that. And like the yep. fact that she is now deciding to stick around and, and see what's going to happen instead mm-hmm. of running like she did in act two. I right. think that's where the time skip plays out well. Um, yeah. And shows that she's grown. So I, I like 
I like overall the way this ends, even though I did not like the the whole Castillon bit at the end of that right. mission. Yeah. Ken, any last thoughts on Isabella? I like her a lot. I like you said that I liked that her more so, not necessarily more so, but like she's one of the like, the better examples in this game of like the character like really having a very definitive. Uh, arc in the end and especially if you're like regardless of your friendship or rivalry you get these very two distinct instances of a character changing whether it is because she realizes that she has people that have her back or that she realizes maybe like she needs to be a better person um <laughs> and it is frustrating that like even in this playthrough like i not i didn't get to actually play through that but it like it's, it makes me sad for people that like maybe got through the end and like didn't have isabelle all the way through because I feel like her her end, like the end of her arc, is very much worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like she's a very rewarding character mm-hmm. to see like go through a journey. Also, can can we just have one note real quick? Um, the other thing that gets wonky, and I'll bring this up because we're kind of moving into a different character. But the other thing that gets wonky with this game in Act Three specifically is that there's stuff that starts happening like major changes in characters arcs depending on the outcome of these companion quests and i don't know if it was just because i had sebastian in my party for a spell or whatever but they start addressing these things as though they have already happened in in party chatter before i have done the companion quests (laughs) so like like what so there's a whole dialogue that actually happened after the the thing we're about to talk about with Fenris, which is um, he uh, he goes and, and obviously like Fenris's story is going to be all about revenge. And so at, at some point while I was walking around, Meryl asks Fenris like, hey, you know, how do you feel about all the things that have happened so far? And Fenris is like, oh, you know, well, it's it's just is what is and sometimes you gotta live with regrets and all that and meryl is like yeah i i have a lot of regrets i wish i could take back to and i was like was that a thinly veiled reference to the end of her companion quest but then there's another point where anders makes reference to aveline being married and specifically at this point i don't think i had talked to aveline and learn that she had married Donic yet. Uh, uh, I mean, I know that they're supposed to have been married like in the between Act Two and Three, so I guess that doesn't really. And I guess that's one of the examples of like characters knowing things regardless of whether Hawk does or not. Like just that sort of like the world is going on whether you're there or not. Yeah, but that seems like a thing the game maybe should have more openly said. You know, like it should have just been like, "Hey, guess what." Uh, or, or like have some sort of thing at the beginning of the act like they did with act two where it's just like oh hey Aveline how's it going I'm hanging out at the Hawk estate and she's like oh you know married life <laughs> not to not to turn <laughs> well, Dragon Age I 2 mean, into a sitcom but I mean because she like the first conversation you have with her like she mentions it or like one of the investigative options I think is like ask how the honeymoon went so mm. like there are things there but I you know it seems like a lot of these systems kind of run semi on autopilot and just kind of happen whether you have done the necessary dialogue or quest to kind of know these things yet. But yeah, I'll I'll mm. Mm. 
I'm, I'm still mixed on how I feel about this, but we'll get to it. Don't worry. Anyways, uh, Fenris. So we got to talk to Fenris. Um, Aveline, as we go into Fenris's mansion uh, during Act 3, we find out that Aveline has been looking for something for Fenris, uh, and they have finally found it. Uh, it is his sister. Turns out that everything that, that, um, oh god, what's her name? Um, don't tell me, I'm gonna find it. I'm gonna find it. I'm gonna find her name. No, not her. Different character. Hadriana. Hadriana. I can't... <laughs> I didn't know how long I could hold my breath For for points. some reason I thought the name Had H-A-M in it And so I was like Hamilana <laughs> Hamadana <Hamilton>. Hamilton <laughs> Hamlet No that's not it <laughs> Ham sandwich Hamiana <laughs> um, Good old Ham uh, Told us Everything she told us In his former uh his previous companion quest was true uh Fenris's sister is alive is a uh tailor is not a slave is free uh and Fenris has managed to make contact with his sister and set up a meeting so the, the way he frames it is very strange he's like we just have to go to the hangman during the day anytime this week and i'm like dude you didn't just like set a day or, or like why did you include this this dialogue in here was <laughs> like is this the the in-universe justification for why we could do this quest now or later you could just be like mm. not I mean, last time that there <laughs> i have last just... one was time sensitive so maybe they felt like they had to be super clear that it's not time sensitive i don't know it it just felt very strange that he was like yeah. don't worry she'll be there every day this week and i'm like since when has time existed in this game <laughs> is this persona now are we playing persona um well we never saw this coming we did not you'll blink but this quest is too fast for eyes because god dang is it fast um that was slick i'm not i'm gonna i'm gonna give you props for that one yeah i tried to get there don't worry um then we do a quest called alone it's just called alone which i kind of enjoy actually excellent song by heart i'll take your word on that Um, you've never heard that song no but i'm not i'm not a big heart fan well i'm not either i just like that song's iconic see I, i i tried to think of it but i think of the part of um i think of a different song so um yeah i'll look that up i'll look that up later i'm not a big heart fan though my parents i feel like that era of music is heavily defined by what your parents listen to and like Hmm. my my dad was a big rush fan and my mom was a big like fleetwood mac fan and stuff like Mm. that so like that's kind of where i got that that's where my music fell know a lot of rush songs <laughs> i know exactly three that's yeah i mean you look let me be real here i like rush a lot as a band and you probably only need to know three um mm, okay spirit of the radio tom sawyer yyz i mean there are other ones like red Burchetta is my favorite one but like see you know, it's 
or the trees the trees is a good jam i do enjoy the trees um anyways Fenris, <laughs> uh we head over to the hangman um and we find his sister and real soon real fast uh it kind of dawns on hawk that something is amiss uh and i will say this particular moment i did like mm-hmm. uh this sort of moment where you're talking to her and the dialogue is very off and Fenris is like wait something's wrong like i mm-hmm. i can't tell what it is and then yeah. i feel like even for the player like i didn't remember that this was how this went down and so it was like a surprise to me that I was like oh shit yeah. <laughs> uh denarius is here and uh his sister has sold her out sold him out to denarius uh, also we find out what fenris's real name is which is leto mm-hmm. um as in jared leto <laughs> do not compare my boy to that man <laughs> all i'm saying is he's it's gonna take uh it's gonna take leto here 30 seconds to send denarius to mars he's going in for the kill uh he's gonna attack man you wouldn't believe denarius this old guy came from yesterday jesus christ his life. Uh, I enough i can't think of more 30 seconds to mars songs. um capricorn that's not a song that's it is no you just made that up no it's not it's the first song in their first album no no you just made that up we're about, well we're about to turn this hangman into a fight club because... <laughs> <laughs> um yeah mm. it's yeah so denarius shows up and we have what is maybe the strangest choice in dragon age ever right here which profoundly is profoundly messed up we we can just decide to like hand fenris over in act three to denarius after we've agreed to help him reconcile with his sister <sighs> so i know we were saying like what was it last week i don't remember when it was we've talked on this podcast about like all these really fucked up decisions it's like yeah yeah sabotaging the genophage sure or like i, I honestly nothing nothing jumps out to me as, as much as that one does and we tried to like kind of rationalize like why like what is the scenario that somebody would be okay doing this this episode we had a scenario where even though you someone listening to this could easily say like do you let a slaver walk away that's kind of fucked up i was able to somehow get my mind into a place where i was like well it's what isabella wanted and i wanted to do what isabella wanted in that place and we can always go stab the dude later uh but we need to resolve this without conflict at this time um also because we're in the middle of castillon's house and who knows what's in castillon's house that dude just like shows up anyways yeah there, there are times in the series where you could justify the things that are done, the the steps that are taken in some crazy way, but <sighs> is this the worst decision we've ever been presented with? Probably in this entire like the genophage is up there. The genophage is real up there. Like, and, and I don't want to sit here playing a game of comparing handing your best friend over into a life of slavery with destroying the future you know potential flourishing of a species uh and shooting 
your friend in the process to do it there's i'm not gonna play apples and oranges here but i I do think at least mass effect 3 made an attempt to justify that decision (laughs) like within the the story that is happening is a bad scenario i mean yeah it's like unforgivable but like they they at least present a reason for that to be a thing that you consider doing this is just like a major like well fuck this dude that i've been hanging out with for seven years just for at this particular moment it's strange because of the moment it accompanies right like you're going ostensibly this mission is you're going to reconcile fenris with his long lost sister and kind of you know neatly tie the bow on this and give him a reason to want to keep living and all that and suddenly denarius shows up he's like gotcha and you can be like haha finally i get to get rid of fenris Mm. after all these opportunities i've had to already get rid of fenris this is the one i've decided to take um and even weirder you can decide to and then change your mind which is strange and i don't like i gotcha yeah the <laughs> look on your face maybe maybe if there was like a sarcastic hawk option to just kind of be like okay gotcha <laughs> like psych him but even mm. then that'd be a little strange um fucked up but but here's here's the the real kicker the footnote on this to end all footnotes if you go through with it and send fenris off with denarius to be a slave leave your party forever go back to the life he hated uh aveline rivalry plus 15 meryl rivalry plus 10 varick rivalry plus 10 sebastian 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 <laughs> rivalry plus 10 anders friendship plus five what a fucking anders dick. sucks <laughs> like <laughs> Like, I don't, like, this dude whose, like, entire thing is having this vendetta to, like, free an entire group of, like, oppressed people is, like, no, I'm gonna be petty enough to get some small amount of pleasure of sending this dude back into slavery. Anders, Anders is, I, (laughs) I don't want mages to be enslaved by Templars, but I'm okay with people I don't like being sent back into slavery (laughs) against their will. Um... We always knew qualitatively that Anders sucked, and now we can prove it quantitatively. <laughs> <laughs> we have numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, boy, I can't wait until we get to the the Anders episode. Um, I've got a lot of thoughts. <laughs> they have yeah. been bubbling back to the surface. <laughs> Act 3, man. Act 3 is a real trip in Dragon Age 2 that just... Mm. Mm. Anyways, so obviously we support Venris and say he's no one's slave, uh, and we murder the shit out of Daenerys, and well, we murder the shit out of a lot of people, and then Daenerys gets the shit murdered out of him by Fenris, uh, in just a real, real humdinger of a fight in the Hangman. I, I did like that at least, like we got to have a little bit of a bar fight here i kind of like the setup for this fight i thought that was cool it was an interesting Mm. arena to have um and it actually is if you if you tune the difficulty up it is a pretty tough fight because of how close quarters it is and the different enemies that spawns there's like different waves that are very well thought out this was i've been kind of having an issue with combat in this game at this point because it, it feels like the enemies are just turning into we're going to throw 
just more enemies at you with less variety and a lot of them are going to be low health and then a few of them will be these big hunky meat shields and you know you're going to have to like split your attention between destroying the small ads and then dealing with the big enemy but that just doesn't feel compelling and here i felt like i finally got to see a little bit of that you know unit variety and having to think about positioning and like target priority and stuff like that in this mm. i had to finally set up tactics <laughs> i had not had to touch tactics for a long time this game and i finally had to go in and set up some tactics for my characters to remember to drink health potions when they're about to die and lyrium potions when they're about to run out of lyri- <laughs> like mana so um that that was all right and then obviously it's great uh fenris rips Daenerys's heart out of his chest it's it owns shit. it's it's great we love it um and then he turns on his sister and here's where we kind of have the real final choice of this mission ken i'll go first okay. um i stopped him okay i said i was basically like hey don't do it you're gonna regret this and i had varic with me and varic kind of chimes in is like look it does not like you think this is what you want right now but it's the furthest from what you actually want mm-hmm. um and sh- she leaves and as she is leaving uh she kind of leaves with one final revelation that fenris aka jared leto uh Thank you. <laughs> uh actually did want the lyrium markings he even competed against others to earn the right to get the lyrium markings and when he had been chosen to be the one to get the markings he actually was given a cash prize which he used to free his mother and his sister and then his sister kind of leaves saying like that freedom was no boon and you got the better end of the deal kind of revealing that her life and freedom has not been easy uh so I have, I have feelings about this, but but okay. let, let me hear your side of things, just kind of where you were. I mean, that was the same thing I did, because I was just okay. like, I know that you're, like, you're in a very, you're having a real heated moment right now, but this is not what, this is not going to accomplish what you think it's going to. Like, you don't need to flash out as what, at, at whoever is in your field of view right now. Yeah, and it's, so... Uh, we can use this to segue into Fenris's questioning beliefs because we it kind of ends with him being like I have nobody now and you can't be like oh you you have friends but there's another option here where you can bring up like why are you blaming magic still because he kind of blames he's like oh magic is the reason this whole thing has gone wrong and later on you can meet him at his uh at his mansion and and talk to him about it again and um again he's just kind of like i i feel directionless my sister betrayed me daenerys is dead i don't know what to do and you know damn magic did all this so for me a not mage i was just kind of like look you know do you have any direction you could go now and if you knew the end point that would take all the fun out of it like you get to decide where you determine your heading you get to go there and that journey is going to be the fun part so enjoy that like you've got that now and you can also have him leave here if you want you can just be like hey look you know go find what you want to do which i actually think is the one example in this game of 
maybe a natural reason for a party member to leave your party mm. before the end of the game where you could just be like look Fenris you need to go find yourself and you need to discover who you are as a person so like go take off and like that's cool I like that I think the idea of having a natural leaving from the party makes a lot of sense here I like it um, even though that's not what I chose uh, and my Fenris yeah. is still hanging around to just kind of see you know how things go uh, you know maybe things are about to get a little wild in Kirkwall and we're going to need somebody <laughs> with a big sword to, to help take care of things but uh Ken obviously you have a relationship with Fenris and you are a mm-hmm. mage so I want to hear kind of how all this went for you so one thing we did kind of like skim over in uh the actual alone quest is that uh it's revealed that Verenia was also a mage and Yes. Anders, for some reason, thinks point. this actually has any bearing on anything that's happened, considering Fenris doesn't have his memories, like, he didn't know that. It doesn't mean anything, but Anders decides to jump on it, like, oh, you're a hypocrite, you're really just jealous, and, like, I'm like, what do you think is happening here? Do you just, like, half-listen to things that are happening? Like, do you just... Shut the fuck up. Anders sucks. Yes. <laughs> More so now than ever. So, like, when he gets to the point where he's like, I have nothing here, like, this is where you can kind of be like, but look at me. Like, hi, I, I am here right now. And they don't really, like, say anything about it, but Fenris does have a moment where he kind of, like, <laughs> when Hawk said, I'm here, Fenris felt that. So mm-hmm. you get to the, you get back to his mansion, and I, are you in a friendship or rivalry with him? I'm in a friendship with him. Okay. So when I get, when I get there, he lets out some, like, Kunari swear, like, and, it, and he says that it means you will be the death of me. Like, mm-hmm. like, I just showed up. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to come in and upset you more. Um... And then he has that moment, he's like, what do I do now? And I was like, there is a future sitting directly in front of you. And then he, he has that moment, he's like, well, we haven't really talked about what happened to us three years ago. And he, like, you can kind of be like, why did you leave? Why, what happened there that was so, the, the point where, like, you basically tore apart our relationship and have we not talked about it since? And he talks about, like, I thought it was better that you hated me than us being in this weird limbo of like trying to figure this out and you thinking that there was still like a hope for us when I'm in this broken person and just like throwing it out there it is not better for a person to think that you hate them and like that be the reason that your relationship falls apart if there's like a genuine issue maybe we should talk about it instead and but then you're when because you're on the topic of like what will his future be you're like there's a future like, our life together can be that future if you are willing to try again. And then it ends on the thing where he's like, if there's a future for me, I will walk into it with you by my side. And I was like, well, you should have said that three years ago. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, but... It's a really... I, I like how it kind of, like, ties back in thematically mm-hmm. to this guy, like, doesn't know what, like, what kind of future he's supposed to have at this point. And kind of just being like, let's find it together. Like, even though... Like, you know, the conversation has that angry rivalry uh sort of intro to it at first but like it kind of that's kind of where like the stuff kind of starts to go away because he's you know he's one he's killed an area he has that closure and he's kind of at this point where he's i am at a point in my life where i have the opportunity to choose now like i don't have to i'm not holed up in this mansion anymore because i am waiting for someone to return to come and take it from me i am at a point where there is, like i'm no longer in this permanent present i am in a point where i can maybe consider fixing and fixing things that I've broken and 
if that can start with Hawk, then that's a good place to start. Mm-hmm. It was nice. It's so I guess the other thing that we haven't talked about much in regards to Fenris that I started noticing a lot is it just kind of sets up a lot of lore with Tevinter and mm-hmm. and with the way that Tevinter operates. Obviously, it's front of mind because Dragon Age Four, the things that happen in Inquisition kind of heavily hint that. Uh, the next Dragon Age game will be taking place in Tevinter or mm-hmm. or somewhat involved Tevinter in some way. Um, and it... Ken, I, I don't know a better way to put this. I am, in our current climate, I'm just really questioning how well a video game can handle an issue like slavery, you know? Right. Yeah. And I was thinking a lot about that during this mission because... I think while the idea that you know this this sister that Fenris had freed was basically like oh well you ended up with lyrium markings and super powered and and all that and you were more free than I was because I basically had you know the implications that like she's had a very hard life trying to make it in freedom and and Fenris even like cements this later on in his questioning beliefs where he kind of talks about there's an uncertainty uh to life now and when he was a slave you know he he never had to question what he was going to do next and you get kind of similar messaging in his previous companion quest with uh hammy ham where (laughs) uh when when you save the the servant and she ends up going like what do you mean like i don't what am i going to do without that in my life and i think that that topic is interesting i just I don't want to like spring it on you be like how do you think slavery was addressed in dragon age 2 but um well there's no better time to talk about it i guess yeah it's Um. it's something that i've been thinking about because it's kind of been this undercurrent in the game and we just had two companion quests in a row that like strongly address the idea that Mm -hmm. it still exists in this world that different nations are kind of dealing with it and I, I also bring it up because when I went to do the Bone Pit mission, uh, one of Aveline's like ambient lines was she's basically like, this you know this is the lifeblood of Kirkwall. These mines built on the bones of thousands of slaves and stuff like that. And yeah. um, I I can't I, I'm I'm a white dude, right? I can't mm. I can't ever fully adequately speak to the handling of these topics in a video game. But I do feel like Dragon Age 2 tried to address this stuff without really ever trying to fully grapple with what they were doing. Like, it just kind of felt like... It it felt greed folly. (laughs) Okay, I don't have Mm. a better phrase for it. Like, the way that it kind of gets layered on top of it as set dressing more than it ever becomes an actual issue that you deal with. Because for the most part, it feels like it's a thing that gets wielded as a way to make a character even more despicable. Like, oh, and you've got to go clear your family's mansion out and it's filled with slavers and stuff like that. It's like okay we get it like it's filled with cartoon villains and we're gonna go kill them like that's that's what it is but i feel like this game and really dragon age as a whole something that i hope they address in the next game given the subject matter especially is like the idea of all 
all these different characters, especially like the elves in, in the alienage and in Tevinter and stuff like that, who are being bought and sold into slavery and trafficked, just doesn't really get touched on with any level. Like, there's a yeah. concerning level of my character doesn't seem to care about any of this. Yeah. And mm. you don't really have too many meaningful ways of grappling with it. It you know, except for killing someone who is a slaver. That's about the right. only way you have of doing it. Right. So I'm of several minds. So given like in universe stuff like you said, it's not slavery's not necessarily an issue here in Kirkwall in the same way that it is going to be in Tevinter. Right. And that is largely because like I mean it's illegal here. So like in theory we should you know, in, in a perfect free marches we wouldn't be dealing with it at all. But right. And in Kirkwall, most of the ways we deal with it is that we're, like, putting a stop to it. Like, right. I want to be clear and about if, that. Right. And, like, it's people that are, like, passing through anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's not, like, it's not, like, a sort of, like, systemic issue in the setting that we're in. Mm-hmm. In the event that, like, Dragon Age 4 is, like, you know, primarily Intimenter, or at least, you know, is Intimenter for an extended period of time, I at least believe that they're going to end up having to confront it in a very specific way because... So let's say that, you know... Dragon Age 4 has to do with the secret mystery villain of Inquisition. It also, we know, is going to involve another character in Inquisition that is kind of positioned at the end of that game as sort of like a sort of, like, radical uh, person that's, like, trying to reform the place. Mm-hmm. And that has been the subject of a lot of, like, extended, like, comics and novels as well. Um, so, like, in theory, Dragon Age 4 will be the place where they actually start to really reckon with that stuff and, like, maybe lean towards, uh, you know, like, with a completely reforming the way that that sort of system happens in this universe. Um, my fear, though, is that by being a choice-based game, Dragon Age tends to do weird things that both sides a lot of issues for the sake of, like, giving the player the agency to impact the world in a way that might seem completely detestable to other people. Yeah, like My, the Fenris mission we just had is a perfect yeah. example. And I don't know in a scenario... The only scenario where I can see them, like... I don't, know if, I don't know if making the choice for you is the way that I want to phrase it, but it's more like making like a clear stance on something like that is if they put you in the shoes of a character that was being directly affected by it. Mm. And maybe Dragon Age 4 will do the stupid fucking thing and make you play as somebody other than the Inquisitor. <laughs> And then you can be in the, the position for that to, like, matter to you in, like, more than just a, like, more than just, like, where it sits with you morally, but just, like, oh, it can be an actual obstacle to things that you are trying to accomplish, and that's the way that they're going to deal with it. I really hope they don't, like, I mean, and I know the appeal of all these games is choice, but, like, Dragon Age is not above trying to up both sides issues of oppression. Like, that is literally the mm. entire point of this act. And a series that I like to see make, like I would like to see make bolder decisions in the way that it approaches things, like moving forward, that has given me very little reason to suspect that it actually will. I don't, I don't know. Like I don't, I I think that you're gonna have to like Dragon Age Four is going to have to make decisions on that front. Like I don't think that you can. It's either you know make decisions on that front or deal with the consequences of how people perceive this game later. Because like. Right. Can you just make a game where, like, you kind of both side slavery after that? I don't think you fucking can. I don't think, like, I think we are at a point where people are realizing, like, no, you can't just, like, 
all in like the name of player agency just like right and and that the topic specifically of slavery is like it's it's not one that's so easily played with in a fantastical setting because i mean this is a thing with fantasy in general is that like okay you can kind of do the whole thing where it's like oh well the mages are being uh held for their own good by the templars and you you have that you have that sort of oppression built in but then to just it's not like slavery is is a wholly new concept in the history of humanity but it does have very specific ties to very specific points Mm -hmm. in american culture specifically like in the history of america um and so in the same way i'd almost like to see them try to do what they did with origins which is go back and let you play as different origins and experience it that way and like i think of the city elf origin that we played all the way back in dragon age origins and that one impressed me because it was like it put you in this place where you had no good answer except for to answer in the only way you could it let you really see what that oppression looked like in the shoes of a character that experienced it daily Mm. and that's the benefit of doing origins is that you can do something like that whereas like a human noble character or uh, a, a mage character or something like that wouldn't experience that exact same situation um you know the the human mage might experience a different kind of oppression or or not experience it at all in Tevinter because of the way that Tevinter mm-hmm. operates but i i brought it up because this was the part of the game where I was suddenly thinking a lot about Dragon Age 4 and I was just kind of going like, oh man, they're going to have to start to deal with these topics. And yep. it can't just be this thing that Fenris kind of lightly brushes on is like, oh, well, you know, I used to have a lot of, you know, certainty in my life and now I don't have that anymore. I'm like, oh, maybe don't paint it that way. <laughs> um, I I think that we talked about this in Dragon Age Origins, but the idea that they had was to kind of break away from Paragon Renegade and instead go back to like choice making and that you make choices. Mm. And I think this game, Dragon Age 2, falters the most when, and, and same with Mass Effect, is when Paragon Renegade or kind of in this game, Friendship Rivalry, which I think in its worst moments airs towards a Paragon Renegade, uh, like one to one. Uh huh it's those are bad when it turns into like okay you have the good choice and the bad choice like are you going to be a hero or a villain but you are playing a character that is ostensibly heroic that is supposed to be someone that you will ultimately root for you know this is not necessarily a game of playing anti-hero it's maybe more a game of playing a hero who makes tough choices or a hero that makes you know like morally upstanding choices like like literally like a paragon or a renegade but both of those operate on the same side of the law and they don't just throw people into slavery <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um so all of that is to say that i thought fenris's story was very good um i i ultimately enjoyed where it went i thought that his final showdown with denarius while a little bit rushed was still very satisfying also that he didn't just let denarius monologue and all that that he just straight ripped that dude's heart out he did not draw it out and i actually enjoyed that a lot i was like yeah dude just rip his heart out like he got the chance here let's do it (laughs) um yeah and now fenris can do whatever he can travel throughout kirkwall he can travel to ferelden or relay 
You even go down to Texas, start a little club down in Dallas, maybe call it the Dallas Buyers Club, you know, because he's Leto. <laughs> if that was a ref- like I was saying, if that's a reference to something that I'm supposed to understand, I don't. Wait, you never saw live. Dallas Buyers Club? It's a movie that mm-hmm. Jer- it's a movie that Jared Leto was in. Mm. No, I have not seen that movie. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I really, I've been waiting to hit you with that one too. I've been sitting here with that in my pocket. I'm sure somebody that's listening understood that and was like hooting and hollering about it. Look, I'm just a bit of a joker. All right. You mean you're a clown? <laughs> oh. Oh. Why so serious, Ken? <laughs> We have to talk about the worst character in the game. We do. We have to talk about the freaking worst character. Okay, let's just get this over with. Sebastian, look, Anders sucks for because he sucks. Like he does things that make him sucky. Sebastian is just the vacuous void of character in this game. So much that his special mission is not in about Act him. Three is, is completely not about him. It's just him being a total like mama's boy to the grand cleric his mother he's, he reminds mm. me of there's a character if you ever watch the muppet christmas carol there's a very specific child of kermit and miss piggies that's always just like a bit of a mama's boy because he's always like just doing whatever miss piggy wants him to do there's a very specific reference for people out there but if you know then you know uh that is that is sebastian or i guess you could call him like seymour skinner from the simpsons he is he is a mother's boy for grand cleric elthina and so his whole third mission is we we go to meet up with the divine and sebastian and of course sebastian's even though he's like royalty now he's still just hanging out at the church you know for some reason and uh Althina's like, hey, there's an agent of the divine coming here to assess the situation and decide whether drastic measures need to be taken. And then we go to the throne room of the Viscount at night because I guess somebody likes dramatic staging <laughs> and uh, or they just needed an area that was separate from every other conflict in this game and that was the one that they had. Um, <laughs> we go fight some mages from this party that we've never heard of called the resolutionists and we'll never hear from again we'll never hear of again they're just kind of there and then after we kill them who shows up but it's leliana aka sister nightingale aka the 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 redhead from down under i don't know <laughs> um and she stabs some people is like hey look it's me leliana remember me um can this whole dlc was maybe the most obvious in terms of like hey player didn't you play dragon age origins remember this character isn't it cool that leliana's still doing stuff um and in fact the way that it's written this whole idea of so there are two points where i audibly sighed playing this (laughs) alone in a dark room with no one but my cat here i audibly sighed and the first one was when I realized that, oh, we're kind of trying to convince Leliana that, uh, like, what's going on? And, and you're, like, talking to her. 
and then you have the option of being like wait you're the Leliana who traveled with the hero of Ferelden and she's like yes you might have heard some of my songs and I was like <sighs> but <sighs> so that's the first time and we'll get to the second time in a minute but Ken how did you feel about Leliana showing back up for this mission just for this mission just to, to, to pop in and say hey it's fucking weird because like <laughs> so, so one of the things one thing that makes it weird is this is dlc like they're like you're gonna yep. like sequester a cameo from like one of the main characters of the last game in dlc like you know the majority of people will not see this and i'm just like okay that's a, a whole that was a choice that was made um but like in theory if this like you know in a, in a world where the Dragon Age series ever followed through on anything that it ever did, this scene would like would be fairly important, like in terms of like what's actually because like she's talking about like for what like the Chantry getting involved in like a military level way, like like they talk about basically going to level Kirkwall because yeah, that, like they're assessing if like the Mage Templar conflict has gotten so bad here that it's like beyond saving. Um, so like you know if that was a real thing and not just something that Bioware made up for a single quest that would be huge that would be like a like a thing that does not seem like it would ever be put in a DLC and not something that is conveyed to the majority of the player base it almost feels like this would have been a great way to escalate the situation in the main game is to have this come up really early on in the act to be like hey, you know, this has been brewing for a while and it's getting to a point where something needs to be done or else there's going to be drastic measures taken from the outside and, like, frame it that way. And now suddenly I care more about these squabbles between Meredith and Orsino because, hey, if they don't stop picking at each other, we're going to have a straight-up holy war. (laughs) And And that's like a... So this is something that kind kind of occurred to me when I was doing this. It's like... We know because people tell us that things are bad in Kirkwall right now, and like we've seen mm-hmm. the co- the comically evil mages in both of those uh, the main quests. They don't do much to really convey that to you, like it, like you know, directly, like in really demonstrable ways, mm-hmm. until you know shit happens and later. Um, so this would have been like, a, a, like if you can't show, don't tell, and this was like. A moment for that, like, I mean, it is, you know, technically, literally not telling us this, but, like, you, when you frame it in a way that makes it feel bigger than just these two squabbles, like, these squabbles between Meredith and Rosino, then I feel like shit that happens later might feel more earned and less of, like, a just shock that it happened. But they don't, I mean, I think maybe it's just, it just goes back to, like, this entire act feels very rushed and, like, they don't really get across the things that they want to. Because Liliana talking about like people or like factions outside of Kirkwall getting involved is like the most, like the least petty mm-hmm. any of this ever comes across. It's, I mean, this would have been a perfect time for them to just lay out like, you know, you could if you try to take the route where you downplay it to to Liliana and be like, hey, you know, it's it's really not that bad. It's you know, it's just some petty squabbles, and she can be like, I've heard reports of serial killers of people dying in the streets of tranquil everywhere of blood mages conducting 
rituals and an insurrection mm-hmm. that ended in massacre like where she could just run down the list of things that have happened so far and been like you're going to honestly tell me that everything is fine and that we're all going to walk away from this and and like you know hugging and kissing and friends like that's not going to happen you need to understand the gravity of what's going on here that would have been cool and would have also like demonstrated again that like Leliana is not just you know she's not just this charlie's angels rogue with daggers who's always like slick and moving around and oh i'm here and i'm doing mysterious stuff but she's also like incredibly smart and can mm-hmm. like seize a lot of these things coming and it could have helped transition her into the role that she has in inquisition where she becomes that like spy master type character very well and that would have been like mm-hmm. a very natural transition for her because i mean she if you think about it, Leliana kind of has the same evolution as uh, Liara does in mm-hmm. Mass Effect. Like, she goes yeah. from this very innocent character to all of a sudden, like, oh, she's the Shadow Broker now. Right. I mean, she's basically the Shadow Broker right now. And um, it's it's cool that we get that evolution, but it feels just like a squandered opportunity here to just kind of be like, oh, yeah, well, we brought back Liliana's voice actress and did a couple lines and... Uh, let's get to the the second audible sigh so <laughs> after she leaves we can go back to the chantry and talk to grand cleric althina and at this point hawk is like no matter what hawk is also convinced is like hey althina you need to get out of town like things are going to get bad and maybe you should take a nice visit to the um the mm. wasn't it called the citadel or am i thinking of something else no, um, no, what was it? It's the, the, not the cathedral, but it was a C, wasn't it? I think it was the Citadel. No, I, I don't even think called the Citadel in Dragon Age. That would be too. But that would be great. <laughs> um, it's it asks asks her to to go leave and and basically go to the headquarters of the Chantry in in uh Ferelden. basically like get out of kirkwall because kirkwall is about to like go down in flames and then grand cleric althina is like oh my children nothing bad could ever happen to me and at that point she should really just look at the camera and wink or something like that because <laughs> like holy shit if you didn't know how this game ends first of all if you're playing without spoilers like maybe tune out here real quick but i'm not going to say it but something happens to her and um this dlc like practically acknowledges that and feels like it winks at that and like what (laughs) i'm so confused so so like when i first played this game i didn't have sebastian installed until because i I don't i don't i don't remember what the the order of operate yeah was he day one dlc like like javik was yeah, and oh, I don't know why I didn't, like, but that happened. So, like, it was a weird thing to come back to, like, my second playthrough, because that was when I finally put him in. To be like, it was almost meta. Like, I was like... <laughs> that, yeah. If it had been, like, post-launch DLC, I think that would have been, been kind of interesting, like, in the way that it... Sort of like, you know, like, Leviathan, like, recontextualizes the ending of Mass Effect 3 just by, like, what it is, and but it was also uh, post-launch DLC, so it, it was kind of meta in the way it worked. That would have worked better that way, I think, this would have. But here is just kind of like... Mm. 
okay mm. circling back around to the part where we talk about things that aren't spoilers that can definitely did not have to cut from the podcast um the way that like it just winks at itself in a really weird way and it, 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 let's really circle this back around to the full weirdness of this this was supposed to be sebastian's quest <laughs> and it literally has nothing like <clears throat> i will say before we because like, i do want to talk about sebastian and kind of like the arc of bioware doing dlc party members i yeah. did say when elthina is like oh nothing bad of me like I, I find i'm just like fine your choice i don't care like i mm-hmm. i had done my part in telling you what you need to do right now and but since your since inaction is like your defining character trait Mm-hmm. I'm peacing out. I got other quests to do. Aveline's waiting on me. Varric's waiting on me. You two, like you two, gonna hang out here and just you know believe the maker's got your back. I thought it was funny that even Sebastian is trying to tell Elthina that maybe you should do something. <laughs> like, right? Maybe just sitting. Sebastian of all people. So like, Sebastian is like that Gal Gadot. I don't know why I'm like so full of like weird references to different things tonight. But like that that line in Wonder Woman where Gal Gadot is on the boat with Chris Pine and they're talking about the the book of like the 14 volumes of sex or whatever and uh, Gal Gadot's like you wouldn't like it and Chris Pine's like why he's like she came to the conclusion that men are ultimately unnecessary <laughs> like that's this but Chris Pine is Sebastian and Gal Gadot is Dragon Age 2 <laughs> like ultimately Sebastian is not necessary <laughs> long trip to get to that one um yeah no it's like look i don't know what sebastian added to this game maybe there is a scene that has yet to play out and i i mean they they talk in the background about all the stuff with Starkhaven, which i i've come to understand has some level of importance in the larger scope of things like the faction of Starkhaven, but it, I really, really, really feel like they failed at demonstrating why I should care about this character, why this character is important. They definitely didn't make him likable. In fact, mm. I find it immensely strange that their day one DLC character has several missions he just won't go on. <laughs> like, like he won't do that one where you go into somebody's dreams to be like, yeah. because he's just like, I'm not doing that because I'm with the Chantry and like dude shut up your, D- your dlc character get in the magic dreamland <laughs> like, um I, I i don't he's he is he's a wafer he's a he's a church wafer that's just there and he's he's thin and he tastes like cardboard and he goes down with that mildly alcoholic grape juice that you have to take for communion but he's just kind of there and I don't feel like he bolstered my Dragon Age 2 experience in any perceptible way beyond making me laugh at the fact that his third companion mission just straight up would be the same whether he was there or not. <laughs> mm. Oh yeah, fun fact. When you return mm. to the Chantry in the Dragon Age wiki, they note... The quest description says to return with Sebastian in the party, but this is not required. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I think he'd be at the scene anyway. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, it's just funny that, like, Sebastian is not required for this. Of the, yeah. But, um, 
It's a... So, I was thinking about, like, all the DLC characters that Bioware put out in this era, which is, like, Kasumi, Zaid, Sebastian, Shale, and then, lastly, Javik. Mm -hmm. It feels like they didn't figure out... Well, granted, okay, Shale is great. She also... I mean, I obviously cannot speak to the truth of development. She also feels like she was very much pulled out of the game to have Mm -hmm. DLC. And, like, that is not me saying what I think Bioware's business practice was. I just feel like they did a decent enough job of making that character feel fleshed out that it feels like she just kind of was meant to be there in the first place. Mm -hmm. Um, But where, like, okay, Kasumi and Zaid, they had, like, these very clear concessions made in, like, the way that, that you interact with that character compared to everybody else in the game. Sebastian feels like this weird thing where, like, None of his quests really have anything to do with... Well, okay, one of his quests like has something to do with him. The other one is, like, he's not even there for, like, you just do a favor for him, and mm-hmm. then fill him in later. And then there's this one where, literally, the entire quest could have happened without him being there. It feels like they didn't figure out how best to integrate a DLC character until Javik, which yeah. makes that kind of unfortunate, because he was the last one they did, because Inquisition and Andromeda did not have DLC characters, uh, DLC companions. So... I, maybe that's a good thing in the long run that like they aren't they they maybe they learned by the end, and then realized that it would just be easier to not do that and like devote mm-hmm. resources into you know story DLC like they did because like you know you could imagine like one of the story DLC they had in Inquisition could have easily have been another companion instead, but I guess they just devote resources to something that can be that can feel both like an added thing, but also not feel like it's intrusive to the story that they're trying to tell in the beginning. Because that is what Sebastian feels like. He's just like, we gated actually meaningful, like a, like this, 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 uh, this quote in particular, we gated like a very, in theory, meaningful, like, story revelation behind DLC that no one's going to play. So maybe in the end, we're better off, but it's just, it's, it's- weird to see the, the places that they faltered and then figured out and then faltered again and then kind of just gave up on it's interesting and i'm glad you brought that up like the idea that we can kind of frame this in terms of how bioware's dlc evolved over time because even though i really really love citadel um and and i liked the the other uh, i liked leviathan as well um omega was was good like i thought mass effect 3 had very good dlc Mm mm-hmm but ultimately, I think Trespasser is like the high mark for Bioware DLC as a whole because it's something that moves the story forward for me. Mm-hmm. Like Citadel was special because it felt like the wrap up that fans needed after right. all that. No matter how you felt about the ending of three, I think everyone was very happy to have that like final send off, regardless mm-hmm. of their feelings on it. But Trespasser was this and obviously we'll talk about it when we get to it, but it's this way for them to really step forward and move the series with a DLC in a way that is, I mean, it's memorable to this day. <laughs> like yeah. I still every now and then think about trespasser and like, it's a very fascinating DLC that right. ends up leaving like very tangible marks on the universe too. And like, that's the other thing about all this is that bioware's dlc up in i mean even through mass effect 3 always felt like it was very set to the side and and it was something that like 
it, it built on what was there but was not necessarily a further extension of the story but with trespasser they're literally saying like okay this is this this takes place after the end of the campaign mm-hmm. after the conclusion of the story we are pushing the story forward right. and it felt very confident from that from bioware yeah like like it has a confidence mm-hmm. to it that i i hope i hope they still got because <laughs> yeah um obviously after andromeda and anthem uh it's it's easy to be a little shook up but i with with sebastian here i think it's just reflective of where bioware was at where they were making a lot of rpgs and especially you know depending on what what you read about from their time when they were under a publisher and stuff here uh, they were kind of being pressed into doing different things with the way that they pieced out their games and stuff and so it could result in situations like this where honestly i'm sitting here and i'm thinking like sebastian supposed to be a character like was this somebody that they had kind of half a story written for and then they got to a point where somebody was like okay well we need some sort of like dlc to break out some companion dlc for this game and they're like okay we've got half a finished character over here and mm-hmm. and it's weird that knowing what i know of sebastian how he ends up playing into the overall dragon age i mean he does have like a significant role in the dragon age universe as he becomes the the leader of of Starkhaven and becomes like an actual political player and and that factors into dragon age like that factors into dragon age inquisition in a way however impactful you believe some of the ways that stuff plays in is but it still plays in in a notable enough way that he will get name checked in the next game and um it just makes me feel like this this was a character that kind of fell ass backwards into being a big part of the dragon age universe but here <laughs> failing upwards yeah yeah he's the failing upwards character of dragon age and and here in dragon age 2 he just did not make an impression he was not something like like if somebody asked me and they were like hey do i need to if they asked me do i need to put to play mass effect 3 with javik in the party i'm like 100 percent yes you have to play that game with javik in the party there's so many good mm. scenes with javik that i can recite by memory they're that good but like with with sebastian i'm like not really like do you mm. want to see lelia like uh, that would be the reason i would, I would do you want to see leliana then yeah install the dlc and do that one mission so you can see leliana and also like if you do the other dlc you get to see leliana anyway so like i don't know <laughs> it's um yeah i mean just to kind of like cap cap it off and like i'm not gonna this is not gonna be a spoiler but he ultimately does get like what is i guess supposed to be his like final payoff scene mm-hmm. at the end of this game and it's related to like a decision that you gotta make kind of like deciding between people and deciding between two parties what do you mean <laughs> mm. well uh, no i'm specifically referring to deciding between sebastian and somebody else oh okay. and well maybe maybe that will be interesting maybe that will pay off for me then but again to, but... to preface this to preface this for the listeners at home I have not played through Dragon Age 2 with Sebastian in my party, so I've not seen all of the potential Sebastian content in this game yet. We will but get my... there. I'm probably going to get there pretty soon. But 
Yeah, I mean, I'm maybe even tonight. Um, I, my thing is though, in a scenario where like that dude could be making the most compelling case he possibly could, I don't give a shit about you, my dude. Like the decision mm. I'm making has nothing to do with you. You just happen to also be here. Hmm. I feel like they kind of preface that because as as I was more ambient dialogue was playing out as I was walking around Kirkwall, and somebody made like a specific like they asked sebastian like hey why are you still here like you're in charge of star cave now like you are the you're like royalty and all that and he's just kind of like oh you know i want to hang around and you know my my heart is with the chantry and all that and like and, and i i was i was hearing that and i was like it feels like they're kind of preparing him for some sort of split where eventually he will have to decide whether i mean that's i feel like that's where his his companion mission his one companion mission uh ended right was this idea that is he loyal to the Chantry or is he loyal to his bloodline? And I wish I had seen more of that. And I wish that that was the note they had ended here with, because if they really wait until the end of the game to pull that card, that seems weird. This, this just all seems weird. I wouldn't like, this is a cool idea, but specifically tying it to Sebastian and also making this like Sebastian's act three companion mission, just feels very strange if this was just an extra dlc thing that they tacked on and involves sebastian because it's part of a dlc and so he gets like two companion missions in act three because he's dlc character and all that like okay i get it i i can follow that a little bit but yeah it's i wanted another character hit here in act three and i didn't get that and so i still feel the way about sebastian i've always felt about sebastian yeah <sighs> You know what you know what I do always feel a way about is the games of spiders. Um Ken Spiders, the the studio that made Greedfall, is announcing their new game. As of this recording tomorrow, by the time this is out, uh unless you are a patron and Ken manages to get this up tonight, which I hope he doesn't because Ken should just get sleep, but <laughs> um uh it'll already be announced what this game is. I won't be so bold as to predict what I think it is. I don't know what it is, but just off the cuff, Ken, how interested are you in another game from the makers of Greedfall? Um, if it is an RPG along the lines of Greedfall, I'd probably fucking play that. I don't think I'm getting that from anyone else right now. Um, that's, that's... I'm well, maybe, I am perhaps wary of it, but that will mm-hmm. depend largely on subject matter. Like if it is, like, keeping a ten foot pole between it and stuff like colonial themes, then I would like be more interested. Because like, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I think Greedfall did a lot well, and like, I, despite the very particular storyline that I think it just absolutely did not, I have generally fond memories of that game. Like, to the point where. I would be interested. I'm like I'm not mm-hmm. chomping at the bit for for whatever it is, but like I would be willing to give it a shot. That's that's kind of where I'm at. Um, you know, I I I am on record as saying I like the base of Greedfall. I felt like as a game, it was well put together. I felt like it had some cool ideas. I like the combat of that game. Um, depending on certain characters that you play and stuff like that, I I know that that can be. You know take it or leave it for some people it is very like witchery it's combat but i like the combat of the witcher a lot so um that that did a lot for me um 
and I, I like some of the characters in that game. Uh, I like some of the some of the character writing in that game specifically. I remember really liking. Um, see, now I have to look their names up, which really just defeats my my argument here <laughs> that these are memorable characters. Um, but it was the the like the father the 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 priest the old priest that mm. that can join your party um i remember liking him and his storyline a lot uh, i'm looking it up right now uh petrus i like petrus i thought mm. siora uh who who represented the faction of the natives um <laughs> i remember i like siora as a character a lot and i wish like the things she had with her mother and her sister I thought were very interesting story beats that ended up being done a disservice ultimately by the content of the game but still raised interesting mm. stories in a vacuum. God, it makes me mm. tired talking about it. Um, I think even also Kurt, from the... Even yeah. Kurt was alright. I like Kurt. He has, a, he has a cool moment that I think was an oh shit moment for both of us uh, mm. that kind of like gave you a heads up that yes this is trying to do a bioware thing uh that i liked mm. a lot so i also think like something that still i mean we both played it in review context so that was not like the ideal way to do that but i also just like the game felt meaty and like a meaningful way like like the it all the side quest like had a ton of side quests and like just things happening in that game but it never felt like fetch quest bullshit it was always yes. like very yeah. like every quest felt like it was like somebody like actually like put a lot of heart and time into each of them yeah, I, I would say the one the one thing I had about that game that it did weird, and this is maybe a sign of its Spiders is not like a Bioware sized studio or anything. Yeah. Spiders is a smaller studio. Um, it did have the issue of like, um, you know, you're traveling from one city to the next, and you find a little area off to the side that looks all cool and looks like it's set up to be something neat, but there's nothing there. And then you go to the city and there's a quest giver there and they're like, oh, hey, go do this thing. And then you end up having to walk back to that place that you'd already been to and do a thing there or maybe like, you know, kill an enemy there or something like that. That's just suddenly now appeared and all that. It was very like, you know, you could kind of see the seams that way. Um, and in that respect, that was, you know, it's reflective of how, you know, it's they don't have that Bioware sort of backing to be able to mm. to cover those cracks as easily um some people like to call games like this like Eurojank and stuff like that i'm not as fond of that mostly because i just feel like that does a disservice to european rpgs in general mm. but um it is it is like they don't have as much resources that they're working with compared to like an electronic arts backed uh right. company but I'm I'm hopeful. I mean, I, Greedfall seems like they're they're pretty happy with the success of it. I don't think I'd want to see another Greedfall though. I I think I would want to yeah, see spiders do something in a different universe because yeah, like because that one I mean kind of tainted by yes. the certain certain themes it does. But I also just kind of like by the end of that game, I was like, I don't think I need anything else. Like there's no there's mm. no that game does not set up a sequel, which to its no. credit, it's not like, and that's. A-okay by me. And I mean, yeah, like the two potential endings of that game actually turn out to be both pretty catastrophic in terms yeah. of what happens. Um, so yeah, no, it ends very... That was maybe one of the things I liked was that 
neither ending felt like a good one like they both yeah. just kind of had different shades of good and bad and that you just kind of had to pick the one that you could live with and i almost kind of like that but yeah. i mean they so they've done other stuff in the past like they did the um i think it's called the technomancer um and mm. they did they did some other games i'm looking them up right now to make sure i get them right um spiders company is also confusing because they are just called spiders it's not like spiders studio or spiders interactive um yeah so they did the technomancer and bound by flame and of orcs and men all of which uh were kind of praised even though they were like highly ambitious and looked at as being like they were trying to do things kind of above and beyond maybe what you would expect a studio of that size to do yeah but they're part of nacon now which is um it, it is big ben interactive um but basically this is like they're they're part of a larger right. uh publisher than they were before so i'm interested to see what they could do with with that sort of stuff and i i, I yeah i i want to see what they can do with the setting i want to see what they can do i'd love to see them do another sci-fi game hell i i I know this might be cursed to put this out in the world, but I'd I'd love to see them try cyberpunk, like hmm. go for that. I I was listening to I think it was the the bombcast the other day, the giant bombcast, and they they were having an interesting conversation about cyberpunk, like obviously the game, but also the concept, right? And like the idea that a lot of people right now are doing cyberpunk, but they're really just kind of doing the cyber, and they're not really getting the punk part of it, mm. which is like hey guess what the corporations are bad guys <laughs> like um you know the there is a reason why all this stuff is falling apart you go watch like a blade runner or anything like that and you immediately get the sense of like the the systems in place that are creating this dystopian technological heaven slash hell and maybe spiders could do something interesting in that realm where you could fudge the lines there and not just run face first into a wall full of bad colonial tanks <laughs> uh but i mean that's the, i feel like that's a monkey paw situation where you're just you're wishing for something and it's gonna have a terrible unintended consequence so um i'm interested i will say that much i i want to see what they do and i think if they keep moving with sort of the ideas and the systems they had in place uh I, I ultimately, while I had issues with Greedfall, I did not ultimately hate my time with it. Mm -hmm. I I enjoyed enough of it that I want to see more of what that studio can do. And right. I also hope that maybe they have heard some of... Because I, I don't feel like it was a... I don't feel like it was a tiny subset right. of critics that were calling that out. I felt like there was a lot of discussion around that stuff with Greedfall. Yeah. And I would hope that they've maybe heard some of that and acknowledged some of it and moved on with it but maybe that's maybe that's in our wheelhouse to to suss out ken maybe we need to do some footwork there we'll look into mm -hmm. that um but for those of you at home we are of course norm dfm we have a patreon patreon.com slash norm dfm you can head over there and support us and keep the lights on around here help us buy things like soundcloud subscriptions and also i mean greedfall if you want to get us to that tier where you can vote for what game you want us to play next 
and you could vote for Greedfall, and you could make us play Greedfall, or this new Spiders game, or a different game. I don't know. <laughs> Pick a different game. Um, <laughs> you know, you can do that. I think our we are still currently tracking. We have we have passed Jade Empire. We are now tracking towards Kotor, uh, which would be our next game. And I, I don't know. I'd like to play Knights of the Old Republic. I've been thinking about it lately. It's been on. Mm-hmm. It's been front of minds. Uh, sure, sure. Ken is thrilled about the idea of playing a Star Wars game. <laughs> so just. Uh, we do like to shout out those who support at a certain tier, so they get a shout out every week on the podcast. As Kevin Kulikowski, Chris Johns, Alice Hawk. Colin, just Colin, just Reds, and just thank all of you for just being around and hanging out. Um, if you do not have the monetary funds available to support us, you can always head over to twitter.com slash normdfmshow, where you can follow us there and keep up with all the podcast episodes going live, as well as all the dumb shit posts that Ken and I do, as well as all our content and stuff like that, too. Uh, it all gets shared there in one wonderful miasma of social media hell. <laughs> um, <laughs> Look, if you don't embrace it, <laughs> what are you doing on Twitter? Um, next week, we'll be doing Aveline and Varric's uh, companion quests, and we will have the one, the only Josh Silverman joining us once again to chat about all the wonderfulness that is Aveline and Varric. I'm very excited. He hasn't been on here in a hot minute, and uh, I want to talk some Aveline. I want to talk some Varric. I, I feel like these are two characters we've not talked about often enough, you know, we had Fenris and Meryl kind of taking up all the oxygen in the room. We need to, to <laughs> let the other companions get in here. So I'm looking forward to that. But uh, until then. We're almost done with the game. Yeah, we're almost done. We were Three so, weeks. God, can it not be? <laughs> I don't know. I'm ready for Inquisition. I'm ready to get to that one. Yeah, I, I, I am at a point where I'm, I'm feeling the drive for the big Inquisition. But also that just reminds me that like... I'm going to need to set aside at least a weekend or two of just playing that game. Uh, Cause that is, that is a whole game. That is a big boy of a game. And uh, I promise you it's not as big as you remember. Okay. Okay. I'm just, mark, like, mark the time and date. <laughs> just, just like keep in mind that game was on last gen consoles. Like it's not on the scale of like the open world things that we play now. Like it's, it's, it's sure. It's, I mean, it's like a meaty game, but it is well, not, wait, it was not on, it was not on last gen consoles. It was a PS4. Yeah, I made that up, one. Eric. I made that up on our Bioware podcast. I made up facts. <laughs> that I just said into the mic here. <laughs> but I do know what you mean. It's it, it's not an Assassin's Creed Odyssey, you know, yep. which is like every time I go back to Assassin's Creed Odyssey, you know, I get that itch to play that game again. And I'm just like, oh my god, there are icons everywhere. Holy crap. Um, I don't think it's like that, but. I do think I'm definitely going to get invested in it enough that I'm going to want to power through some of the side stuff that could be Mm. considered otherwise unnecessary, like getting all the different um, strongholds and all that and Mm. and just clearing off different things and getting the various side missions done because, I don't know, I also got to decide what character class I'm going to play because... I've been a rogue two games in a row, and I played Mage in Inquisition originally, but I'm kind of thinking I might want to go rogue for the next one and kind of see mm. what a rogue plays like in Inquisition. I haven't quite decided yet, you know? So we'll, we'll see. I do like having Sarah in my party, and having two rogues is, like, the fastest way to lose any fight. So 
we we will see we will see but uh we'll see you next time on normandy fm Oh, 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 oh,